everybody, welcome back to another episode of You Can't Be Serious. Uh, I am one half of your hosting duo, Matt Torrey, uh, joined with my co-host. That's me, Josh Tracy, other half of the co-hosting duo. <laughs> and we are uh, we are we are joined today with a special guest. We have our we have our resident uh, uh, golf expert uh, in the house, uh, Mitchell Potempo. Why don't you give everybody a little hello? Hello, everybody. How's everybody doing? For those of you who recall the attempt we had at talking about golf last time with Greg Potempo, this is the brother of that Potempo. I am Greg's brother. Yes. 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 So. So, uh, seeing as though this week we are coming up on the 84th, I believe, the 84th uh, Masters Tournament, we thought it would be a timely uh, discussion to kind of talk about, uh, you know, the Masters, talk about golf, kind of revisit some of the earlier conversations we had, uh, as well as just talk about, you know, just this exciting uh, sporting event that is, uh, you know, that is to come. So, I, I guess, obviously, I think the first place we should start is that this is not this is not going to be like any Masters tournament uh, that we've ever seen, um, for one very obvious reason that it's taking place in November, when it usually takes place in April, right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, so the Masters, um, like you said, eighty fourth edition, originally held in nineteen thirty four. So in its first year of inception, it was played actually on March twenty second to the twenty fifth. This was the only time that it was not played on the first week in April until this week, as Matt said, just given the circumstances, um, you know, we're getting some masters golf in the fall and you know, I'm real excited about it. Yeah, and so just for, just for our uh, golf, uh, the, the uninitiated of golf, you know, where is, where is, where is the masters held Mitch? Where, where are we talking about here? So we're at Augusta national. Where is that? That's in the great state of Georgia. Um, it was built a little bit before 1934. Um, I believe that it was um, formerly um, farmland before it was purchased. Uh, and ever since then, it's the only major tournament to be played at the same course every year. It's one of the most exclusive and prestigious courses in the entire country. Uh, a lot of people put it right up there next to the old course. It's one of the most famous courses out there. Yeah. So, so this is like, this is, this is golf holy ground, right? Augusta National. Yes, it is hallowed grounds. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that unfortunately is not going to play a, a part this year is what uh, about the layout of the course is that the holes are right on top of one another. You can hear the roars coming from hole to hole, which is something that we're not going to have this year. That's one thing that these golf golfers are not going to have to deal with. So maybe we see some low numbers out there, or maybe, you know, the pressure gets to them in different ways. We're excited to see how it pans out. And so there's going to be no fans here, right? That's no fans, no. No fans at all. So no. it's going to be just the golfers on the course. Um, why, you know, outside of the fact that this is the first time it's taking place outside of April, which in itself is a pretty noteworthy thing. Um, I guess how else is, is the fact that it's going to be in November going to affect things? I mean, we're talking, it's Georgia, so it's not, we're not going to be seeing snow or anything like that. But I mean, is the difference in year going to make uh a difference in play oh without a doubt it's going to have some type of impact on the golf course for sure um you expect a little bit colder colder temperatures and you expect a little bit of a wet climate you know it's hurricane season down there so you have some you know some strong storms coming through airways might be a little soggy um you know we might not get the same roll out of the ball um but we're not expecting cold uh cold temperatures uh forecast last time i checked it looks like not cold but wet um, mm -hmm. So some say that might, you know, favor the uh, players who are able to hit it real long. Um, 
you know, being long in Augusta is very important because it's a, it's a second shot course. If you're able to cut yardage off on that second shot, really, really does improve your chances of scoring on this tough golf course. So what's a second shot course? Like I'd educate me. So second shot course is when the design of the course is one that puts the pressure not on your ability to put it in the fairway, but on your ability to put it on the green, close to the green, around the green, in a place where you can either get it up and down and save par, or if you know if you catch bad luck, then now we're looking up and two putt, and we're you know we're giving up shots right around the green. That's not what we want. Mm-hmm. So, so there's going to be less, I guess, less less emphasis on you know accuracy off the tee, and more so, uh, you know, just being able to. Put yourself in a good position to to then play out the hole. That's not to say that accuracy isn't important. <laughs> uh, you know, golf is a, an accurate sport in and of itself, but the fairways are can be a little bit wider. Uh, but depending on what side of the fairway you're on, you know, you have the certain point of attack towards that green. You know, what angle you have. Uh, the thing to look out for this year is is that guy DeChambeau. That guy hits the crap out of the ball. Yeah, he really, really does. And I've seen so many articles all over the internet talking about the kind of angles he's going to take on some of these fairways. You know, a lot of dog legs out there in Augusta. So he's going to be able to cut those dog legs pretty significantly on some of these holes where you know, most of the field might be playing a six iron or a five iron. Guy could be hitting a pitching wedge. In. Hitting and, a wedge, in, yeah. And back to what I said earlier, this is a second shot course. When I say it's a second shot course, it doesn't necessarily mean that driving is not important mm-hmm. because Echambeau can hit the ball harder longer and higher than any other player on the tournament yeah because of that fact he is improving the second shot by cutting down it, it, that's where that could be the game changer but that's the whole world's betting on dechambeau so who knows what's going to play out so i'm glad you brought him up so because he seems to be what a lot of people in golf are talking about right now just the fact that he's hitting just massive bombs off the tee and it's just you know pretty uh purposefully you know or with intent kind of went out with the goal of i'm going to put on i'm going to bulk up i'm going to get stronger with the with the idea of that's going to result in more distance off the tee to me someone who doesn't know a whole lot about professional golf and doesn't you know hasn't really followed the sport for that long that kind of seems obvious like why why is why is it such a big deal that there's this guy who's all of a sudden hitting bombs off the tee? I mean, is he's the, is he the first guy to think, oh, what if I hit it longer? Like, obviously not, right? No, he's not the first guy to hit it long. Uh, Want to hit it longer? Uh, you know, we they relied on technology and equipment changes through the beginning of golf. Um, to what I think uh, the thing about Deschambeau, why he's so polarizing, why so many people have different perspectives on him, it's not necessarily because he's trying to hit the ball longer. To your point, that's not new. It's the way he's going about hitting the ball longer that this guy is eating like 7,000 more calories than he was before. I'd say <laughs> in any sport, if you said, you know what, next season, I'm going to eat 7,000 more calories yeah. I'm gonna, and I'm going to do better. I just think his, his approach is unique. Yeah. His approach is based on science and it's not, it's not the tradition. No, it's not. So g- golf is not traditionally a science driven sport is what you're saying. No, very much the opposite. You know, the way that the amount of uh, science that they put into the design of golf clubs, the angles, the length of the shaft, it's always been scientific. But as you know, technology is changing every single day. Mm-hmm. He's utilizing the latest and greatest technologies. They've been using technology for all, all periods of time. 
Sure. DeChambeau has found a different way to use it and he's has had different ulterior routes. Science isn't one method. Yeah. Yeah. Science is multiple methods. He's doing the new ones. So the interest, the most interesting thing about kind of like his swing and kind of the way he plays when I found out was the whole idea. He uses like single, what are they called? Single length shafts or single length irons, whatever. Like all his irons are all the same length. Yeah, that's right. And so like for people who aren't, who don't play golf, usually, um, in a traditional set of irons, you know, like a three through a pitching wedge, uh, your three iron is like kind of your longer clubs. You hit those farther. The shaft is then longer. And then kind of as you go down through the irons, working your way up to the pitching wedge, um, the shafts get shorter and shorter and shorter. Um, his don't do that. His are all the same length, right? Yeah. All the same length. Cause I think he wants to use the same exact swing on every single one of those shots. I mean, like the plane of the swing is, you know, the same, the distance that he stands from the ball is the same, whereas traditionally that's not how you teach golf. Yeah, and it's and he's backing it up with these this really really interesting and things I don't really get uh-huh. scientific facts, and it's working for the guy. He you know he's playing great golf going into this weekend. Yeah, it it, it honestly if it would be one thing if it wasn't working for him, and then you could kind of very easily say like, oh well, that's why you don't do it that way because it's not working. Um, but it is working. He's he's like breaking a lot of the quote unquote rules, right? Of like how you're supposed to play, how your clubs are supposed to be. Um, and he's getting tremendous results out of it. And so like, why, I mean, like, I mean, do you think we're going to start seeing like, just like hordes of players switching over to single length irons and like whipping out huge drivers and bulking up 40 pounds to try to, you know, get distance off the tee? Or, or do you think he is kind of like a, an exception to the rule maybe no i i think whenever somebody has success with a method there's going to be a copycat and there's going to be somebody that's going to try to do it better um how many people try it matt i i'm not willing to put a guess on but sure. i can almost guarantee you that somebody else is going to try something similar to what shampoo has done and there are some things you can you don't have to take all of his game mm-hmm. you know there's parts of his game that i look at that i try to implement myself and there's one thing that he, Dishambo is an athlete. Yeah, golf isn't very, very, very often. It's been told it's not an athletic sport. It's very much the opposite. It's a very athletic sport, and you need to get your body in athletic shape in order to do it to the best of your ability. And he's taking that to the next level. Tiger was the first to do that. Mm-hmm. Tiger was the first to start lifting weights and playing golf. Yeah, and approaching it like uh, like you would a traditional sport. Yes, right? like you know, like he's gonna go out and he's in. He's not going to bulk up like he's, you know, going for the world's strongest man, but the guy's going to try to put more distance onto his driver. Tiger's fared well. Yushambo is like almost Tiger V2 when it comes to huh. the athletic way of yeah. looking at golf. He's just so dynamic with his swing. So you look at the old, you know, the old time guys playing golf and they're so still over the ball. Yeah. And they're so steady. That's worked for them for years. That's not Bryson. Mm-hmm. That guy, he's, Juggling all around, he's getting his body ready to, you know, do an athletic motion, mm-hmm. and that's the one thing that I've kind of taken away from the swing is just the athleticism that he uses in his preparation and in his execution of the golf swing. So obviously, that paid off for him in the U.S. Open, right? Because he won. Yes, it did. Does that same kind of raw, you know, just I'm gonna I'm gonna show up and just like bust this golf course wide open kind of approach. Um, do you think that still has uh, 
is that still a valid approach, I guess, at Augusta? Because like from what I've been hearing, right? I mean, you hear um, there's talk of, uh, you know, Phil Mickelson wanting to be in contention, right? Uh, Tiger's looking to come back and defend his 2019. Um, and these guys aren't, so you know, these guys aren't young, right? And so they, they are past their, their prime bomb hitting, uh, you know, days. Um, but no one's counting them out, right? No one's saying that like, oh, there's no, unless you're, unless you're hitting 350 yards off the tee, like every single time, like you got no shot. So I, what do you think? What do you think about that? Well, you brought up two names. You brought up Tiger and you brought up Phil. Yeah. So Tiger right now is plus 4,200 going into the weekend. So he's very much, and that was our higher odds than he was last year. Mm. Last year going into the Masters, same tournament, he was plus 1,900. So at least from Vegas' perspective, they, they, they like Tiger, but they're not, he's not up close to the top where he got DeChambeau but plus 800. I think he got DJ at plus 800, JT plus 1,200. Um, same thing can be said about Phil, but both of those golfers, Matt, they, they, they haven't been coming in with form. When you're looking at to see who's going to win golf tournaments, it's who's coming in with the best form, which is why Bryson has been kind of dominating the headlines. There's one thing about Bryson, though. Bryson gets in his own head sometimes. Yeah. And this is one putt, and he starts yelling at himself, and he's done it before. Now, he was fortunate at the U.S. Open. He never found himself in a situation where he really missed the putt and let it get to him so badly. And those greens at Augusta, we haven't talked about it yet, but greens are, for the most part, are large greens. They're undulating and they're fast. Mm -hmm. And if you're not, if you're not uh, accurate with your second shot, you land at the wrong part of the green, you leave yourself with a very difficult two putt. Let's say you even get it within 10 feet. You got some crazy benders in there mm -hmm. that are going to, you're going to have to be able to putt the ball this weekend. We know Bryson can hit the crap out of it. We know that there's other people that can hit the crap out of it. Just because you can do that doesn't mean that you won the tournament. You got to be able to putt. And so we should look into some, you know, some players that are coming in that are hot with the wand. That's, you know, try for show, putt for dough kind of thing. Yeah. Wow. That's a really good point. Um, I mean, does anyone talk about Bryson's? I mean, I guess he, he's notable for, for his, uh, mental hangups. Yes. Yeah. 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 He, he's definitely known for that. As there are some players that are, are known for on tour, but he has, and I've seen it myself. There have been sometimes where if he gets a blow up hole, look out. You know, you have more high numbers coming your way after that, huh. which, which could potentially be an issue on a course that's got you know, just a tough. You need to be really, really on point with your short game. Josh, any thoughts? I'm just I'm just trying to absorb it, man. Um, yeah, because you know, like I I <laughs> I I don't have a, a a steeped history in in the Masters at all. Um, I'm honestly a little bit confused as to how one even gets there. Uh, like yeah. how do you? This this is we're so far beyond this point in the conversation, really. But like. How do you even qualify? So it's it's actually really interesting. There's like a there's a bunch of weird criteria, right? Yeah, I just I just looked them up. Hold on, let me pull them up. So I mean, it's definitely like they invite uh, like the top ranked golfers, right? That's kind of the most clear, straightforward. Like, oh, if you're a good golfer, you get invited. How much do you want? How much detail do you want into who gets invited and who doesn't? 
Also, I'm I'm more interested. I would like to hear it. I'm. I think Josh, you'd probably also like to hear this, like about like the past champions and kind of like who other than just being a well-ranked golfer gets invited to the Masters. Well, first off, any Masters tournament champion has a lifetime invitation. So if you win the Masters once, you're invited every year that you're on the Pro Tour, hmm. no matter how good or bad you're playing. Um, also, the major championships of the other. Three major championships. Yeah. So U.S. Open, British Open, PGA Championship, and five years after. For each won, of those victories. Yes, for okay. each of those victories. Um, current Olympic gold medalist gets one for one year. Uh, the Players' Championship, which is kind of looked at as like a semi-major. It's the champion for uh, three years. So you win it three years out. Uh, it looks like the U.S. Amateur Champion is also invited. The British Amateur Champion is invited. Well, it's the Asia Pacific, Latin America, U.S. Men Amateur, and then it's after that. It's like a bunch of finishing places. Gotcha. You know, in in big tournaments. But I guess, in short, Josh, to answer your question, you got to play well in major championships to get there. Okay. So, so I mean, go ahead. go ahead, Matt. No, Matt, go ahead. Well, I was gonna say it just—it sounds kind of like the almost like the the you know was the thinking like, well, let's try to assemble the 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 best group of golfers right like from 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 multiple different ways of looking at you know what is the best golfer right so we're going to look at you know rankings we're going to look at winners of major championships we're going to look at olympic medalists and just try to get them all in one place at one time and try to have a tournament right yeah i believe it's the most exclusive of the four major tournaments so i i have a question to pose to both of you that um isn't directly, I guess, golf related, but is directly about the Masters specifically. Do you think it benefits the sport of golf to have the Masters at the same course every year because of the history of the course? Or do you think it would be better suited to take the Masters uh, around courses in not just the U.S., but maybe even some other locations to help spread the sport of golf or um or would you rather have the one central historical location so i think i i have i i used to have a different opinion on this i used to be of the mindset of i think it would be better if it traveled around i think it would be better if it moved around just like all the other championships and and that way you'd get to kind of expand the footprint of golf yada 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 um, kind of the more I learn about the Masters, the more I, I kind of just dive into the world of golf, right? The more I'm changing my mind and kind of think that although there are, there are different things you could point to that say and maybe argue that the Masters is too, too uh, not inclusive enough or is too uh, kind of rooted in old world thinking. I think, you know, you have other, there are other major championships like the U.S. Open, like, you know, the uh, the PGA Championship, where they do move around. And so there is that chance for golf to kind of spread its wings, right, and kind of uh, expand its footprint and for people to kind of just experience golf all over the world. Um, whereas with the masters specifically, you know, just because of the history of the event and, and, and the course at Augusta, there is so much, uh, 
I mean, even if even if you want to say that it's just kind of uh, made up and silly, there is a lot of uh, kind of reverence around the course and it, it is as we said earlier in the episode almost hallowed ground when it comes to golf it is like golf mecca um and so for those reasons i think i think that the masters should and and will always be you know held at augusta exclusively and i think if it were ever to not be held at augusta i don't think you could call it the masters yeah, so I know that yeah, you're a baseball guy, Josh. So I guess I'll kind of respond to your question with a question. Um, if I walked on the streets of the north end of Chicago and went up to a Cubs fan and asked them if how they would feel if we tore down Wrigley Field and built another stadium in a different neighborhood so that the Cubs baseball could be brought to different communities in Chicago, how do you think that they would respond to that? Oh, they would hate it. Yeah, so <laughs> so any any golf fan that's been watching golf for any number of years has that relationship with watching golf at Augusta National, similar to what a Cub fan would have with Wrigley Field, you know, a Red Sox fan would have with Fenway Park. I know that Yankee Stadium stadium is moved, but it's built right around the old one. What if I took that stadium and you know moved it down into Midtown? Would you like that? <laughs> Oh God, no. <laughs> no. No, definitely not. You know, and it's you can't recreate the drama that this course can create. Uh, and that's why it's it's so reverent and so loved by fans and players alike. You know, specifically there's a stretch of golf. It, it's probably the most famous three holes, you know, uh in in all of golf, and it's Amen Corner. It, that's a nickname for it that was given to them by this old writer for Sports Illustrated, Herbert Warren Wind. And, uh, he wrote the article in 1958, died in 2005. He's in the Golf Hall of Fame. He's one of the most famous golf commentators or writers of all time. Got the name from a song by Mildred Bailey. Go Now, listeners, go home and listen, look it up. It's called Shouting in That Amen Corner. So where did he get, where did he get the name for that? So he was covering Arnold Palmer, you know, famous old golfer. Arnie's Army. The guy was in 1958 Masters. He was tied with this guy, Ken Venturi, in the last round. Okay? So they get to the 12th hole. So the 12th hole is the corner of Amen's corner. It, it quite literally, architecturally, on the golf course, is a corner. The 11th is a par four. Your second shot, your approach shot, is over Ray's Creek onto the green. Okay, so then the 12th, which is now at 100, about 130 yard par three, that also goes over Ray's Creek to a green that's very, very narrow, very, very tough to hit. If you're short, you got the creek. If you're in the back, you got the bank. So these guys are, uh, I actually know, Paul, so Palmer's one ahead going into the, this par three, and they both hit their tee shot behind the green. So they're walking up to the, the green. Now, from where the spectators are, the spectators are behind the tee box, right? They're not allowed over to where the green is. So every, remember, and this is in the 50s, so we don't have aerial shots. We don't have, you know, cameras following them. It's literally just these four guys are walking over this creek. And all of a sudden, you see Arnold Palmer start to argue with one of the officials. So the officials, the caddies, and the golfers are walking over this creek. 
everybody's about 130 yards away. And from 130 yards away, you see Arnold Palmer start to argue with this guy. Now, what is he arguing with? So where his ball landed on the bank was so far buried that he argued that it was an unplayable lie, that he should have been able to pick it up without a stroke penalty. The official did not give it to him. So he tries to hit from it. He ends up hitting him at five, right? He later, after he's done that, he drops a ball and says, I'm going to hit a provisional because I really think I should have been able to pick that shot up. And he drops the ball, gets up and down, gets a par, walks off, right? So he doesn't know if he has a five or a three on the hole yet. He's he, still waiting on like the he, official yeah, ruling. Yeah, he doesn't even know if he has a five or a three yet, right? So, and his playing partner, I believe, bogeyed it. So let's say it's either he's tied or he's up by one. Yeah, so that's the difference in like who's, and, and who's, who's winning. And here. who's winning, right? So, and, and neither of them know. Yeah. Neither of them know. And not only that, the audience has no also idea. Also doesn't know because they don't know even what happened. No, no idea what happened. So Arnie goes to the tee box on the 13th, okay? So now he hits a ball about 250 yards. He's got a long forward in back over Ray's Creek, okay? He takes this forward, not knowing if he's up or down in the tournament. Um, I think probably about 220 out, and puts it 10 feet from the hole. What kind of balls does that take to not even know if you're up or down in the most prestigious tournament of the year and go out and hit a shot that's so demoralizing to your opponent that after that, they both the players stumbled their way in and they had to wait for players in the afternoon to come in. But Palmer ended up getting the championship and it was because of those two shots. They found out that it was a three on like the 14th. Wow. Wow, that's crazy. And so that's why it's shouting in that amen corner because they're literally hearing shouting from Arnold Palmer yelling yeah. at the official thinking that it should be. I had no idea that's how it got that name. I had like I had heard of, of Amen Corner, right? About it being like this real pivotal part of the course and like where it's uh, you know, a lot of a lot of people have like lost the masters there, right? Because of like blow up holes on the on the twelfth or whatever, and it just being a really challenging part of the course. But that's a crazy story. Yeah, totally not. And like even in you know, 2019 right with all of the aerial coverage and everything that that would still be pretty dramatic yes but having it literally just be like you know up in the air of like well what happened well actually i don't think it could happen nowadays because the so the reason why it took so long to get the ruling is mm. because you had to have an official come back to the hole after the two players had left the hole Nowadays, if you have like, yeah, if you have an irregularity about Collins, I mean, you have three or four officials all on golf, you know, golf carts rolling up there immediately. Yeah, yeah. Immediately. I don't think you had that kind of coverage back in the day, though. Huh? So you physically had to wait for somebody to come out. There. And again, nobody was allowed out there. It's, that's back in the corner there. Yeah. And so nobody saw it. Like no. none of the fans saw it. No one knew what was going on. No, no, not at all. Yeah, no, real great story. And so that's why, Josh, as we'll just circle this back to your question, it's like stories like that, why you can never have the masters somewhere. That's not Augusta. The two are synonymous with one another. Yeah. I mean, I think you could probably have a major championship in golf, right? And in April, but if somewhere else, but if you called it the masters, people would, people would freak. Yeah. No, no, that doesn't happen. There's other tournaments played in April. Sure. But none of them are the masters. No. Because none of them are in Augusta. And if you take the masters and put it on something, that's not Augusta. It's not the it's masters. Not the masters. So. Are there any other 
tournaments played at Augusta is or is it solely the Masters? Uh good question. I know that there's other little tournaments that are played the weekend of the Masters. Like I know that the Lady Amateurs have a tournament. I believe it's like the weekend before. Mm, okay. I think. Um, I know they get like a par three contest. I I don't think so though. I know it's just real exclusive to get on. Yeah. I mean, you, you need to know somebody, know somebody. Yeah. To get onto that course. Yeah, and then even like just membership at Augusta, right? Is how much do you I think it is? I have it in front of me. Well, it's not even like I don't even think I I, I don't think if you walked up to them with a million bajillion dollars, I no. think they would say, "Well, we don't want you to join our club." I agree with you. Yeah, I but how much? But how much do you think it does cost if they go? Oh, well, oh yeah. I mean, once that? you've been invited, yeah, we've been waiting for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, probably between three four hundred thousand dollars a year. I was gonna I was gonna say three fifty. Oh, you guys are way too high. Um, really? Uh, really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. yeah really? What is it? What is it? $40,000. Oh, is that, is that change? That's nothing. Change. That's, that's nothing. nothing. Yeah. So that's the initiation fee. And then the monthly oh. dues are somewhere between a thousand to $2,000 monthly. So you're looking at like $60,000 a year. Oh, no, no. You're looking at $40,000 for your one-time upfront fee. And then after that, somewhere between like eight and 10 grand a year. Oh, that's a, that's like a insultingly low amount of money. No, it is not. To be a member at Augusta? You have eight grand lying around that you're willing to just kick aside? Well, no, no, no. But I'm saying like, I'm not even like on the list to get on the list to then maybe sort of be considered... Like, you know what I mean? Like yeah. the, the, the caliber of people who are like the people who are members at Augusta, right? We're talking about like past presidents. We're talking about like, like, uh, world champions of stuff. And like, yeah. So actually, Josh, can you pull up a list of members of Augusta national or like famous members at Augusta national? Sure. I'd be curious. I don't know. Who's right. a member Cause I, I, I know, like I know past presidents are, like our members, like I'm pretty sure, like Eisenhower was a member. Um, I don't know. See, I don't even know. I have no idea who was a member. I just know it's exclusive. Yeah. No, I could not afford that. And then, so like, I mean, if you win, if you win the Masters, right, you get invited back for life. Do you also get invited to join Augusta? Uh, Bill Gates. He's a member. Uh, yeah, there you go. Bill Gates, like eight thousand dollars for Bill Gates. Like I, that's a steal. I, I mean, uh, Bill Gates. Warren Buffett. These are smart gentlemen, so I'm sure they understand. But like, they don't even have a a good concept of what eight thousand dollars is. That's like how much money they have. <laughs> like, well, I I think the this is just a loose guess, but. Oftentimes, money cost can be used to, you know, cull a list of eligible people to join your organization. Condoleezza Rice also uh, is a member. Um, she was the and, first woman, I think, right? That would make sense. I just have, well, there's a list of women and there are three. Um, Virginia Romady and uh, Darla Moore are the other two. Yeah, anyway. It's like na last 10 years new, I think. So if... If there's such exclusivity behind it, mm -hmm. and you have to know a guy who knows a guy who knows a guy to get considered, then at that point, the money doesn't matter. You know? I guess, yeah. 
So while they could charge an arm and a leg, that's not, they don't need to do that to make it feel exclusive, which is oftentimes how cost is used. Um, And I'm willing to bet that these people for like, you know, I'm willing to bet that this golf course brings in enough money from the broadcasting rights for the, um, or with the leasing rights, whatever it is, agreement they have with the the masters, or if they are the masters in some way, then with CBS to broadcast the masters, they're making plenty of money off of that. And I'm sure all the people who go there actually like spend money at the the course itself, getting food, buying balls, whatever is marked up beyond belief, and just sure. you know that, but that kind of shit. So I'm sure that like they don't need more money, and because they're so exclusive and renowned. That they yeah. also don't need the price tag to reflect how hoity-toity of a joint it is. I mean that you know now that you're saying it, that actually does make a lot of sense. Um, but like just so just for just for comparison, so Winged Foot, right? This is where the U.S. Open was held. Uh, what two months ago or so? Um, the article I just pulled up says the initiation fee for Winged Foot is around two hundred grand. Okay, so <sighs> Jesus. That's more where we're Yeah. And so, like, the idea of, like, you know, if you hadn't told me, right, if, if we hadn't had this conversation and, and you told me first, okay, winged foot is 200 grand for the initiation fee. What do you think the initiation fee for Augusta National is? I, it's got to be in the same ballpark. And obviously, I'd be incredibly wrong. Um, so, Josh, you brought up the concession stands at the masters and i guess so i'm assuming our listeners know nothing uh if i if you, both of you young men had to ask guess let's just say let's pick an item on the menu here a ham and cheese on rye how much do you think that sandwich was if you were a patron at the masters um we talking toasted rye the sign just says rye. Just ham and cheese on rye. Ham and cheese on rye. Well, if rye. it's good bread, you don't toast it. That's an insult. Um, and it's 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 Augustus, so it's probably good bread. I don't know. A ham and cheese on rye. Tell me it's it's something ridiculous, like it's twelve dollars. Uh I'm I'm gonna take the over on that. I'm gonna but not by like a ridiculous uh, percentage wise by a lot, but not by a ridiculous quantity. I'll say eighteen. So a ham and cheese on rye at the Masters for a patron is two dollars and fifty cents. Wow! What? Wow! So this yeah. is this is really like the Costco and of 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 golf courses in terms of the price of everything. But that doesn't make any sense because like well, these prices feel like hey you know we opened in 1934 and everything is the same. So their most famous sandwich. A pimento cheese sandwich, white bread and pimento cheese bread, which if you have not tried yet, I highly recommend you trying pimento cheese bread. Okay. It's a great, great product. It's just, it's a cheese spread? It's Yeah, so it's like cream cheese, it's cheddar a cheese, cheese. It's a cheese sandwich we're talking about. Yeah, here. it's a cheese sandwich on white bread. A cheese sandwich on white bread. At the Masters. At the Masters. Masters. Well, you just told me uh, a, a ham and cheese on rye or ham and cheese on whatever was 250 so I don't know. A cheese sandwich, so we're, we don't even have any protein in there. No, it's dollar fifty. Dollar fifty. Yes, but so to Josh's earlier point, it's so exclusive there that they don't need to charge a lot. Well, they, they don't need to. Do you know how hard it is to get tickets to the Masters? I try every year, every single year. 
have to get put into a lottery and then only a certain amount of people get them. Well, so, but how much are those people? How, like, how much are they? Let's say you could pick, let's say like you, you win the lottery. You get to, like, how, like, oh, how it, much are they? They're expensive, well, yeah, but they have to be. Well, yeah, but they're not, I mean, compared to other tournaments around, they're not, they're about average. I think it's like maybe a hundred bucks a day, Thursday through so Sunday. That's not that, that's not crazy at all. No, but that's what it is. Most that's mostly around the country. Yeah. You know, Again, I, I I'd have to imagine a lot of this has to be coming from the broadcasting rights. It has to CBS because it, yeah, I mean, it's so years. much. Uh, real quick, I found a, a better list than the one I was looking at previously. Um, other members okay. at at the club include Roger Goodell, the commissioner of the NFL. Um, no one really super exciting that's a current member. Uh. Previous members include Dwight D. Eisenhower. I was right. Yeah, yeah, he was there. That that's kind of like you know, there's companies here that I recognize, but not names like Ginny Romady, who's the chair, president, CEO of IBM. I know that ah, company. I didn't know them. Who that was. Yeah, they're a, a small little outfit. Uh, I guess uh, all yeah. of IBM goes here. Sam Palmisano, former CEO of IBM. Lou Ger Gerstner, former IBM executive. I mean that's not too surprising. I mean, I, I mean IBM is obviously still a huge company, but like yeah. back Peter in the day, Coors, IBM the was chairman and CEO of former chairman and CEO of Coors Brewing Company. He's there. Yeah, yeah. So like all of these people are perfectly capable of 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 paying a much larger initiation fee. But I guess to your point though, the exclusivity comes not from the cost, but from the sheer fact that they don't let just anybody join. No. And it's actually really funny when it comes to the exclusivity of the golf course, it's literally built in the middle of nowhere. Like the golf course doesn't, hasn't only bought the grounds that the golf course is on. It's also bought like acres and acres around the golf course. Really? So, yeah. So it's like, it's, it's almost like its own Disney's land of golf. Huh? Cause it's just in the middle of nowhere with trees all around it. And then you got this beautiful, beautiful golf course. Yeah. And so not only is it in the middle of nowhere, like it's it's like purposefully in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Like they went out of their way of like, all right, we're going to buy up all the land around the golf course and so no one else can. Correct. So it just stays just golf course. Yeah, just golf course. There's definitely no condos being built on that golf course ever, 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 ever. Did you uh, did you guys know? I'm looking up uh, fun facts about the Masters. Did you know that uh, Augusta was originally supposed to have 19 holes instead of 18? It the nineteenth was a little part three. It's supposed to be a double or nothing hole. Yeah, 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 yeah. I guess Mitch did. Yeah, fuck just, you, Matt. I, I you just, were the I, last I, to know. I just like to. I like the idea of that. You know, you're just you had a long day. You're playing with your friends, and you know, one one friend beat the other friend by like a hole or something, and yeah. he's up like five, ten bucks, and like, all right, double or nothing on this seventy yard. It was only like seventy yards. It was like throwing yep. a dart. <laughs> I uh, I like the idea of society built around gambling. Uh, hey, that's that's <laughs> yeah, that's golf, man. Yeah, who um, so it, it was a planned nineteenth hole, or like it, it's not there. Yeah, or, it's, it's no, not. Yeah, not it was planned. No, it's not there because it would interview with the view from the ninth and the eighteenth hole. So the ninth and the eighteenth hole both are uphill uh -huh. dog legs, with your second shot being substantially up the hill. Okay. So you got an elevated green. Okay. It was like on, like between those two greens, they were going to build this tee box. Gotcha. But now you have all these patrons that they want to have there. Gotcha. So like, ah, we can't, maybe we can't have a hole. I think it was requested by the, uh, the members or the ones who requested it to be built. 
Well, that's amazing. So that means that like that means we'll probably have there was like there there were enough like games that happened with members there that like ended in a tie or like ended and they were like, yeah, we need a sudden death hole. Please build us a sudden death golf hole. Yes. And they almost did. And they almost did. That's fantastic. Do you know that the uh, the course was not used between 1943 and 1946 because of World War II? Really? Two years that the Masters wasn't played. 86 years ago it was founded, but it's the 84th edition. Yeah, Hold and on. during those you- during those years, um, in order to help with the war effort, the grounds were used to raise uh, cows and turkeys. No shit. Shit, indeed. So not only did they just say like, "Well, we're not having the Masters here," because like they said, "Well, we're also just not going to play golf here. We're going to raise cows here." Different yeah, two hundred yeah. cattle and fourteen hundred turkeys. Oh man, what a different world that is! Like the most prestigious golf course in the country, saying. Yeah, we're just gonna use our grounds for cattle. Yeah, and you imagine like like stepping in cow shit at the Masters. <laughs> well, no, I was gonna say like if Yankee Stadium was like, you know what we're gonna do to help the war effort, we're gonna start raising cattle, uh, like in the outfield. <laughs> so the you know what was going on the last time in World War Two? What kind of pro sports do we have? We had pro baseball. What, what did they? I I know a lot of players went off to fight the war. Yeah, I think you had football going on. I think in football you actually had some teams combine to play with one another. Like yeah, I the Philadelphia Steagles was one of the, the Steagles. Yes, that's right. Yes, yeah. So that was that was something that football kind of did. I don't know if they used their stadiums for anything. To your point, yeah, I don't think they were. I don't think they were raising cattle at fucking Heinz Field or well, I guess not Heinz Field. It would have been whatever. Is it uh, Three Rivers. Three Rivers. It might the forties might be two rivers. The third river wasn't even built yet. <laughs> <laughs> no, I but I honestly I don't know how old is Three River Stadium? I don't think it's does it go back to the forties? Uh I don't know. Where do they put it in that third river? <laughs> no, the three rivers, you're right, Matt. It opened in nineteen seventy. Right. So what was what was there before? Was it just two rivers? <laughs> Uh, no fucking clue. Can find it first. Ah, uh, let's see. Forbes Field. Forbes Field. Yeah. Ah, uh, I. You know what? I should have known that. Yeah, you piece of shit. Jeez. Yeah, I should have known that. I mean, you I didn't know about Hole Nineteen. You didn't know about Forbes Field. Jeez, yeah. Matt. Yeah, well, it's a good thing I'm not on a sports podcast, so. True, sorry, true. I, I, I hijacked your non-sports podcast, or podcast. If, uh, well, no, it's okay, because this just proves that golf isn't a sport. Hey, Josh, real quick, if, if, if any of our listeners are out there, you know, they've got a hankering for a sports podcast, where might they go? They should check out Juicing the Numbers, where, where, where I talked to a mutual friend of, of Matt and I um, about, about sports and all of the goofy interworkings of it. Wow, that sounds like a lot of fun. Where where could I find that? L- literally everywhere on the street. We we're, we're we're posted up in bodegas everywhere. Actually, it's probably just wherever you're listening to this. So wherever you're listening to this on, also go check out that. <laughs> ba- basically, yeah. Uh, so uh, hold on as a, as a question. So only only two pro golfers are currently members 
at Augusta National, why? Wouldn't you... If Wait, it's, two, if it, two current pro golfers? golfers? Golfers, yes. Two. <laughs> uh, Jack Nicklaus and um, John Harris? Uh, I'm, I'm going with Nicklaus. Anyway, um, if it's the Mecca, wouldn't you want to be there? Not everybody lives in Georgia. Uh, I'd be a member at a golf club if you're not, if you can't play there all the time. Like a lot of golfers like live in Florida. A lot of them live in some island where they can play golf year round. You know, if I was a golfer, you know, I'd probably move to like South Asia or something like that. They got great golf courses. I've actually heard that. I've heard. uh, It's always warm. Yeah. Like Thailand or Thailand, right? Yeah. they're, They're all really nice. It looked like a freak over there because I'm six foot whatever. You would look like a freak over there. But yeah, that's if I was a pro golfer, I wouldn't be. A, not that it is the Mecca, but you, you, you have your opportunity to play there when the tournament's going on. Well, well, here, here, here. I wouldn't want to live in Georgia. That's well, for sure. Well, here you go, Josh. Does every does everyone live at the actual Mecca? Like, do all Muslims actually live at the at Mecca? No, they, you go, you go, you, 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 you take your pilgrimage, you go, you check it out and then you, you go live somewhere else. Well, it, I mean, yeah, but it's also, you know, <laughs> right? Like, but people do. Yeah, and like I'm sure to your point, some do. Yeah, there you go. The Jack Nicholas and, and who was the other guy? <laughs> John Harris, I think it was once. Something very generically white. I forget. Uh yeah, John Harris. Uh, so maybe he's a golfer? Probably he's a golfer. Yeah. I, I believe it. Sounds like a golf name. Yeah, I guess so. But, like, uh, even if you're, I don't know, I guess, yeah, I guess who retires to Georgia? Because I was going to say, like, maybe old dudes who just retired, but, nah, that's more of a California and Florida vibe. Yeah, I feel like you'd have to really, really love, not just golf, but really love Augusta. Racism. Yeah. To, well, you don't need to be a racist to be a member at Augusta. No, but most, I mean, most parts so, of Georgia. So, so, I mean, while yeah. you bring... The, Augusta does have a history of of it does of 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 racism and and Big racist time. policies. Big yeah, Big what? Well, up until Are you telling me an old golf course used to be racist? <laughs> well, no, not America? even America. Not even like really used to be like up until not that long ago, right? Like it was what? Like, Lady, all, lady members is new. Right? Was, like, well, not just that, like caddies, right? All weren't all the caddies there black, and like it was like a thing that you had to be black to be a caddy. I, there. It wouldn't surprise me. Um, like I the guy know. who uh was it Bobby Jones or was it yeah, Bobby Jones? Like he uh, uh I mean th- this is his quote. Um, but like it was it was something to, along the lines of like as long as I'm alive, like golfers will be white and caddies will be black or something like that. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it, that's a part of our history. It's a part of the history of Augusta just being, you know, it was a course that was built in the early thirties in Georgia, a deep South state. And unfortunately, you know, those people had some really messed up views on race and its place in golf, which is wonderful to see where we're at now with golf. Mm-hmm. And I and that's kind of one how I want to like circle back and talk about you know what the Masters can become and what it can be like a symbol of. So yes, to your guys' point, it has a racist history. It doesn't make it inherently bad. It just doesn't have a perfect history. 
how can we take its image going forward? And that is, let's be more inclusive. Let's get women in there. Let's get people of color in there. Let's get minorities in there. Because that's because they deserve to be there because it's hallowed grounds, not because of its racist tendencies, because of how beautiful of a plot of land it is mm-hmm. and how beautiful and challenging of a golf course it is. And everybody has a right to at least observe it, take part in it, and hopefully compete in it. And that really seems to be a a sentiment that seems to be shared by a lot of people across golf, like as a just as an institution, right? The idea of of golf trying to be more inclusive and trying to uh, kind of expand its horizons beyond the uh, the stereotype of like kind of well off white men playing golf, and that's the only you have to be that to play golf. Well, that demographic is is shrinking in this country. Yeah. So, and the amount of players of golf in recent years has hit a low. Now the pandemic has helped that because there's nothing else for people to do. Hence <laughs> people like yourself, Matt. Yeah. But also to your point, they're trying to expand their base. They want people to play their game. Yeah. Tiger was good for that. Mm-hmm. You know, he also has a checkered history, but it doesn't take away from what he did for the sport. Mm-hmm. And he's inspired a lot of these young kids today. You know, earlier we were going through and seeing who qualifies for the masters. You know, you saw they take the amateur champ from every continent. America, Asia, Europe, you know, it's it's a global game now and one that everybody has the has the right to go and, and you know, swing the golf club. Yeah. But anyway, back into yeah. it. Is anybody willing to throw some picks out there? Everybody go up, pull up, you know, pull up pull up the spread, pull up I, I mean, want I want whatever guy put did that awesome skipping on the water shot. Give me John that Rahm. guy. John Rahm. He's he's John he, Rahm. That he has good odds, does he not? Yeah, let's see. Let's see where John Rahm is. So John Rom currently one of the favorites. He's plus a thousand. Plus a thousand. So I would love to see. Uh, I would love to see Ti- Tiger win again. Oh, who? Every it'd be great for the sport. I mean, yeah, you and everyone on the planet, Matt. But <laughs> yeah. So I mean, but and he has decent odds, does he not? What what did what did you say I, Vegas I had him at? So plus forty two hundred. So ten bucks to win four hundred and twenty dollars. Okay. I'm willing to. Put down five dollars for each of us, and and we and we can follow up next week. Go, I mean, it, dude. So I got a I got a pick. I think I have a pick in mind. I go with a dark horse. Yeah, yeah. Are, do you want Tiger though? I'll wait for mine. I, I don't know if I want Tiger because I feel like that's a that's just not a. I mean, like I'm gonna be like I, even if I don't like put money on him, I'm like gonna be rooting for him. Like I. It would be great to see him win. I think it would be more fun to put money on like just just for shits and giggles. What are Phil's odds? What are... Phil? Do you want to get it plus seventy five hundred? I mean, that's not horrible. But five bucks wins you three hundred seventy five dollars, dude. Yeah, I like. I just don't think he's going to be in contention. That was the thing. Like, I I tell you, he doesn't have four. And it's sad. Yeah, it's sad. But the thing. Here's so okay. I'll make the argument for Phil. Phil's played there just about as long, if not longer, than anybody else. Than anybody else the there. Yeah. So that guy knows those greens. And talk about if somebody gets hot with the putter, mm-hmm. Phil can get hot. Yeah. If he gets hot at the right time, like I guess I he can't. Well, he, and he, I mean, you're talking. I mean, like, like just that kind of you know inside a hundred yards, like being crucial to playing there. Mm-hmm. I mean. In their prime, there's no one better than Phil, right? Inside no. 100 yards. No, but so. he, but he's got it. I, he, he's got to be in the fairway. 
I mean, it's like he can't, he's left, he's right. You can't be hitting out of the trees in Augusta. Yeah. And out of the trees anywhere. I just said the most obvious thing about that. <laughs> you can't yeah. hit out of the trees because, but that's what Phil's issue is, unfortunately. Guy's inconsistent. He's not hitting the fairway. If he puts himself in the fairway and gives himself enough shots for the second shots, he, he's just as good of a shot as anybody else. How do you good. feel about uh, Matthew Wolf? Matthew Wolf with the crazy swing? Yeah. So I, I like Matthew Wolf because he, for all of his antics with his swing. So I don't know if you've seen his swing, Josh. He like takes his back. He takes it for, he like bends his knees forward, I believe first. And then he takes his golf club up and then like cocks it and then swings the, the club. It's really, really strange. But he has the most consistent ball striking because of it. It looks so weird, but it works. Yes, it looks so, so weird, but it works. And and he's another one that I think he right now. So they got his odds at at plus thirty eight hundred. He's good value for that pick. Um, he's another one that you know with the iron in hand, he can get real scary. Um, and he he puts the ball pretty well too. So thirty eight hundred, I, I like him. I think he's got a good shot. I mean, the only thing I guess that I don't like him. I mean, he's super young, is he not? Like, is he ever like? Is this twenty one, twenty two? Like, so he's he is he ever played at Augusta? I once or twice. Okay. Um, I just remember hearing everyone talking about him uh, during the U.S. Open about him just being super young, He's like twenty-one years old. Yeah. No, he has not played at the Masters yet. Has this never played. Be, at this the will Masters. be his first time at the Masters. Huh. A great story. First time at the Masters, getting a win. Yeah. And then, who, what about? Uh, is it Rory that needs the Masters for mm-hmm. to complete the yes, the Grand Slam? Yes, it is. What do his odds look like? He he's one of the favorites. He's like maybe plus a thousand, plus twelve hundred. Yeah, and he's another one like when it comes to his the way he drives the ball, he's the closest to Bryson DeChambeau. Yeah, in terms of how long he hits it, how hard he hits it. Um, but he's another one that's kind of been a little inconsistent. Mm-hmm. coming into the tournament but i think he actually has a bunch of like top 10 finishes coming in here i mean he's another guy who i would love to see win just because like i that would be so great to see him you know obviously complete the career grand slam and like he's been chasing that win for a while yes he has and come close a couple times too. yeah he's come close a bunch of times Let's see if I can pull up when Rory, because you know he's he's another one at like plus thirteen hundred. If I could take him like in the top five, I, I guarantee you, not guarantee you, but I would say I like Rory inside the top five. Yeah, I do. Just when he when he gets that driver going and he's in the fairway, he, he's he's unstoppable. He's unstoppable. He can put the ball real close. Now I know this is out of your uh, comfort zone, there, Josh. But just you know, picking a name, you throw somebody in the hat here. Uh, I'll go with John Rom. You want to go with John Rom? I do. Guy? I, I mean, yeah, that was the coolest shit I've ever seen. I mean, honestly, I. What did it look like? It's, it's crazy. Have you not seen this? Well, some viewers may not have seen it. Oh man! Well, he. Uh... He 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 kind of just 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 skirts this. Th- it looks like a shot Skyler or I would make by mistake, where it just is very hard, seemingly straight into the ground, skirts its way along the water, like very comically plops its way up out of the water and onto the uh, 
the fairway, moves all the way onto the green, loops around to uh, to the left in a hook, and then just dunks right in the hole. Right into the hole. And I believe that was that on 12? No, that's oh, on 16. Uh, is it 16? That's okay. 16. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it does it, 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 it two skips, three skips, like it's a lot of skips across the water. It's not like a one skip and you're up. It was like that's a, a comical but, amount of skips. They do that every year, which is it's an it's a great thing to watch. Yeah. It's a really, really great thing to watch. I I, I wonder how far that putt rolled. It was so far. Honestly, like, like a hundred fucking feet. It was ridiculous. Dude, I saw the clip and like once the ball got up onto the green, I thought that was the end of the video. And I was, even if if it ended there, I would have been like, wow, that was fun. That was cool. And then it just keeps rolling and rolling and rolling. And then it drops in the hole. Like, yeah. yeah. Now, see, now my only, I guess... I mean, I guess there were cameras there, obviously, because we saw it. But, like, can you imagine how both gratifying but also, like, shitty it would have been? Like, um, you're, you're back in 19, I don't know, 48, right? There's no, like, practice round because there's no cameras, right? Whatever. And you hit a shot like that. There's no one around to see it. No. Like. <laughs> now, now you have seven different angles on it. Yeah. So so we have John Rom from our friend Josh. That's Rory. Yeah. I don't know, man. I, I might take Rory. I like Rory. But, like, it just seems like, I don't, like, if, I feel like if Bryson is on, like, and, and all, firing on all cylinders, that, like, it's just going to be a, like, a fucking bloodbath. Like, I don't, maybe not. Like. It can be. I. He, he did, that's what he did at the U.S. Open. He that's what I mean, yeah. Away. He blew the field away. And so, like. It feels, but it also feels lazy to just pick him and just say like, yeah, I think he's going to win because like people say he's the best. Uh, I'm going to go with Rory. I'll, I'll, I, I, will, I will take Rory in this. So one of my favorite golfers, this is a homer pick for me, but he's a guy who's been in many masters, hasn't had his first career major championship yet. He's won the players championship. He puts the ball really well and he's, at ball striking he's been erratic at times and it's kind of his game has a little stumbled off a little bit the past couple of years he hasn't been in contention like he used to be every year okay but i think ricky fowler at plus 6500 oh my, 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 that's my a name pick. i know i know that I think, name yeah i like i like ricky fowler i think if he starts getting the putt in the ball to, to well, win you to have, win you... yeah i like ricky to win i think if he gets putt in the ball the way that he can and he keeps himself out of danger off the tee. I know he like he can hit his irons well, and so I'm going to go with him. That's going to be my pick. What do you think the winning score is going to be uh, oh, over the four days? So probably minus nine, nine under, ten under. I, I think scoring is going to be lower because it's not cold, so the ball is going to travel just fine. And it's going to be wet, so the ball's not going to run out on Run out guys. on the, yeah, it's going to stick. It, it, it'll stick, especially with these tough second shots. You know, the greens might, they're still going to be lightning quick. It's, it's Augusta. Sure. It might not be as quick as it would be if it was a, what would have been for real tough conditions is if you had like a dry, not a cloud in the sky, yep. sunny all day, mm-hmm. and then like a wind of like 15, 20 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. Then you'd have some real, real, quick conditions but i'd say so i'd say like nine ten under maybe a little bit better than that ten under for 
for the for all four days. Yes. Huh. What was what did what did what did Bryson shoot at the U.S. Open? Like, I mean, the it U.S. Was, Opens obviously like so. The U.S. Open, USGA makes it a point. Is just known for it's just a much more challenging course, right? Wing foot in particular. What made it challenging was its uh, length of rough. So it penalized players tremendously for missing the fairway. And that's what Bryson was able to separate himself by going five under to mm-hmm. win that tournament. Now, that five under is only five shots away from when I set out Augusta. I'm going to tell you Wingfoot's a tougher course than Augusta. Why are they this course so close? The last time that the U.S. Open was at Wingfoot, the winning score was five over. Five over. Five over. Wow. I think the, the how much better professional golfers have got at the sport of golf, it's almost getting to the point where like people say that like Bryson is breaking the game. Yeah. The same way that like Steph Curry kind of like broke the game by getting so, too good at it. So I I mean So I know courses for like tournament layouts, right? They'll like lengthen some holes, they'll move the tees back. Mm-hmm. Just because, I mean, guys who are on the PGA Tour, right, they're, they're hitting longer than you and I are. Um, is that the answer, though? Is, like, is because you've got guys like Bryson who are now just clobbering the ball, are we going to start seeing, like, 900-yard par fives? Or, like, so, like, there's guys, like, you know, I mean, with guys like Bryson hitting the ball so far, right, obviously courses can only, like, lengthen holes so far. But, like, is that going to be the answer? Are we going to see, like, with new golf courses, people redesigning courses to, like, just add absurd distances to holes, like, and have just, like, 800, 900-yard holes? Maybe not that long. But... Golf, golf me... is a Go ahead. I was going to ask you, Matt, why do you think that might eventually happen? Matt. Well, well yeah, so, so, like, I mean... So when you have like traditional layouts of courses, right? The the way that in the past that like organizers have made the course playable for core professionals who are hitting the ball farther is well, we're just going to back the tees up. We're going to make the course a little bit longer to make it because otherwise, if you had professionals playing just the regular layout and you have guys who are driving the ball consistently 300, 320 yards, you get to a point where like they're not they're able to kind of like cheat the course, right. And kind of hit balls where they're not supposed to be able to hit balls to. Um, and so the answer to that is just lengthen the course. Um, you know, we've kind of seen this, like uh, a resurgence in like, or not, maybe not resurgence, but like people are very, very into, you know, just maximizing distance and trying to uh, just clobber the ball off the tee. Um, after, especially after having seen the success that, uh, Bryson saw at the U.S. Open with just hitting bombs. I mean, is there what's like the upper limit? I guess do you think where there are where are where courses are no longer able to just you know simply back the tees up into where they have to then you know really cool. think about redesigning holes and making it in such a way that the layout is conducive to tournament play. Well, what what I'm saying though, and I don't have a good answer to this um, because I am not a golfer, um, hmm. but it, that, I think, is pretty analogous to what happens in baseball. You know, we hit more home runs now than we ever have in the history of the mm-hmm. sport. Sure. You know, like in 1920, you know how many home runs the New York Giants as a team hit in 1920? 
Probably like five. 46. Okay. <laughs> you know how many Babe Ruth hit in 1920 by himself? Like 70-something? 54. Okay. So he, as a man, yeah. hit more home runs than a whole team. And yeah. might I add, the New York Giants played in the polo grounds. That stadium's fucking colossal. Yeah. Um, and that wasn't the solution. What, what ends up happening is the, you know, there, there's there's other aspects to the game. It's not just about the distance of the of the thing because if we worried about that, then every place would have backed up there. Um, was it, was their it wall. right or le- was it right or left field in polo the polo grounds that was way out there? Was it left dead field center? Right and it was like well over four hundred feet, right? I think true dead center was like four ninety. Yeah, there's nothing like that ballpark. What was it down the? Do you remember? Can you pull up what it was down the poles? Um. Let me see if I can find. Well, quick. well, so and then it's a great analogy well, to so, use baseball because so we've seen in baseball an uptick in home runs over these past couple of years. I think, to correct me if I'm wrong, Josh, that had come from a period prior to that where pitchers were seeing a little bit more of a dominance and we were seeing some low run, low run scoring games. Is it just a game of inches as golf is a game of inches? And at this point in time, hitters are just making those little adjustments to, you know, have one up on the pitcher. I don't know what those adjustments are because I'm not a baseball guy. But is it just they have that one extra, you know, advantage on them because of some different training or some different? I will. I will answer your. I, I I have an answer for this. First off, I also have the polo grounds field size to left field, the pole. 279 feet to left center 450 feet to oh dead se- to dead center 483 feet to right center 449 feet and to right field pole 258 feet yeah it's wow. a it's a really wacky stadium um was yeah, true was um in terms of the trajectory of baseball and the hitting of home runs over time we hadn't really seen a level of true pitcher dominance since the end of the 60s, early 70s, when they uh, had to lower the mound, specifically after Bob Gibson's 1968 season. Um, mm-hmm. We saw pretty, I guess, you, over the course of baseball history, you would call the mid-70s to early 80s the a pretty level playing field before in the late 80s and early 90s, you started getting the steroids era, which led to a, a big period, a big home run hitting time after which that got curbed, it was, again, a little bit more even keel. And then in the uh, late, mid-2010s, mid early 2010s to mid-2010s, you saw what we're seeing now, which is the use of statistics and analytics in terms, uh, in, in, in application of hitting, where, you know, you can, you can really get down to the nitty-gritty with a slow-mo camera and some really cool shit, where you can see, you know, uh, player is dipping their elbow a little bit too much uh, a little bit too early and it's 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 getting them to get underneath the ball and they they want to be underneath the ball but they also want to be able to make good contact with the ball on the upswing so that they can really get it up in the air and you know you're getting it too low and you're, you're tipping it up and making more pop-ups and you get into really truly like that level of detail you know you got to drop your shoulder a little bit more to get the head of the bat around a little bit um a little bit quicker, you can pick, build up momentum and all that. And and that's really one of the coolest parts about modern-day baseball, and I don't want to sit here and just talk about baseball because I have a whole other show for that. Um, 
But the part of the idea is that while we have the knowledge of how to hit balls farther now, and we have training that is specifically built for players to really make the most out of um, launch angle and exit velocity to really you know do everything within their power to get the ball in the air at a maximum distance, you are also, while doing that, sacrificing other parts of hitting. And that's fine. There, there is math that shows that, that in baseball it is worth it. But I also have to assume that by going up there and just, in, in golf, going into a tee box and doing your damnedest to just shellack the ball all the way to the green, you have to be sacrificing some part of your swing to do that. Because I just don't understand, based on the way baseball works, I don't understand how you could do that and not be. You know? And that's going to bring with it risks. So I think while you see people on the national stage who might be hitting the ball, um, I have a terrible judge of distance when it comes to not baseball. So whatever is a far distance in golf, 400, 300 yeah. yards? All right, 300 yards. That, you're, you're also seeing the best guy there is at doing that, you know? Like, I bet there's a minor leaguer out there who hit a 500-foot home run but that was the only run home run he fucking hit that season. And that's mm. not going to get you anywhere. You know, you need the guy that's going to hit it 400 feet, but who's going to do that 35 times a year. You know, it might not be as far on average, but it's always getting out there. You see that guy. And it it's tough to go just by distance because it's so far removed from being the only thing that players are asked to do. You know, as again, talking about baseball, you need a guy that walks. You know, you need a guy that's going to get up to the plate, look at his pitches, stare him down, then trot on over to first base. And golf, you need a guy who can putt. You know, you you can't be up there being doing the whole uh, what uh, uh, Happy Madison thing, Billy Madison thing, right? Or uh, Happy Gilmore? That's what it was. The Happy Gilmore thing. We just send the ball and then can't do anything on the green. Like, I, sure. I yeah, I would so, say there's got to be other components to it, right? So I. I mean, obviously, golf, like in order to be a successful golfer, right, you have to have a well-rounded game, right? You can't be Happy Gilmore and just, you know, crush bombs but have no short game. And on the flip side of that, you can't, you know, just be great at putting and have nothing from the tee. You've got to be like a well-rounded player. And like, I think the assumption that I'm working off of is that anybody who's invited to the Masters, right, anybody who's on the tour is at least well-rounded enough that like... There is no one. There are no happy Gilmores out there. There are no one. There is no one out there who just like is duffing every tee shot. Um, I guess what I'm more interested in, right, is the big difference between golf and kind of like the analogy you just use for baseball. I think is that while major league baseball players, right, when they play major league baseball, they're doing so in a major league baseball stadium that was purpose built to house major league baseball games right um whereas a lot of uh or all right golf uh like you know major golf tournaments are held on courses that you know for 360 days out of the year are not hosting major golf tournaments they're just open to either their members or whatever to come and play golf like just regular people um and so the you know for a majority of the time that the course is open right it has to be playable to, to not a uh, a golf pro 
right? To not someone who's on the tour. Um, at the same time, though, it has to be challenging enough to provide a, a good venue for a golf championship. And so, you know, golf courses, you know, they have a lot of other tools in their tool belt other than just distance, right? They can, uh, you know, like at Wingfoot, grow the rough out super long to kind of penalize inaccurate shots. There's a lot of different options you have as far as making a golf course difficult. You can change angles from which the tee box are at. You know, maybe you don't necessarily add any length to the tee box, but mm -hmm. you change the framing of it, which may have to force the golfer to contend with a bunker that wouldn't be in play yeah. otherwise. And but so the placement of bunkers is another thing they can do. If they notice that golfers are starting to hit the ball over certain fairway bunkers that were supposed to be lining the landing zone, they can move those back themselves. So let's say you have some fairway bunkers that professionally right now are about 250, far, 250 yards out for a pro golfer in this instance that that bunker is not in not play. even in play. So what a golf course could do to accommodate for longer hitters is take that bunker Hey, let's move this back 75 yards. So mm. now where the golfer knows he's going to land the ball, the bunker is right there. It's in play. Now it's in play. So that's something else that they can do. It's not, I'll go back to, it's a game of inches. You're not just going to wake up tomorrow and boom, there's an extra hundred yards onto pro tips. Yeah. You know, could that be the case, you know, 50, 60 years? I don't know. Uh -huh. But if it is going to go that way, it's not going to happen overnight. They're just going to keep making subtle changes mm -hmm. to make sure that these, you know, these professionals are challenged out there. Yeah. Yeah, I guess when I initially posed the question, I kind of just forgot that there was other, <laughs> there were other parts of a golf course than just distance. Yeah, no, it's, um, it's definitely not just distance. But like, well, but I guess... I, yeah, I, I asked because... It, and I am both happy to make baseball comparisons because I like baseball and it's very easy for me to, to make those comparisons, but I also hate to talk about baseball too much. But like, cause you know, when, when we entered like the first like home run awakening in the Babe Ruth era, nobody's re gut instinct was to move the walls back. Um, in fact, a lot of baseball stadiums actually moved the walls in because home runs mm -hmm. were exciting and selling tickets and yada, yada, yada. Um, sure. Instead, you, you just got a lot of, minor corrections you know they would have something that was able to help the pitcher out until pitching got too good and they'd you know lower a mound or something to help the the hitter out um, until mm -hmm. hitting got too good and, and they just take it little bit by bit and make minor um what's environmental corrections you know and yeah. i would i would figure with because not only would it be harder for golf to i think make that change because to your point part of the reason people go to golf courses i would have to imagine is that you are playing in the same environment to some extent to a very loose extent as yeah, when yeah. you're playing professionally totally. you know like you're going up there it'd be like imagine you went to a uh, a batting cage and instead of hitting baseball sized balls you were hitting i don't know something goofy large even bigger yeah. than softballs. And you had to use, like, you know those big, like super fat plastic bats? <laughs> yeah, yeah, like yeah, infants. yeah. One of those. Yeah. You'd feel like a fucking chump. You know, I want to go up there with, with my normal-sized bat, hit normal-sized yeah. baseballs, and pretend I'm hitting a walk-off home run. 
Yeah, yeah. There is still some handicapping though in golf, whereas when you walk up to the batting cages, you're not going to get you know the 90 mile an hour fastball option if that's even an option in batting cages. <laughs> I'm sure it's not. I but actually, I, I one batting cage I went to had an 85 mile an hour option, and I tried it out and whiffed on everything. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's why, <laughs> while it's nice to be in the same batting cage as the professional, it's good to have a handicap to make it fair for everybody. Right. Which is why you have different teeth. You know, I don't play at the tips. Yeah. That's a, I, that, and that's fine. That's okay. Yeah. And I guess, I guess it, it makes sense from a, like, well, how do we make the, the whole easier standpoint of like, oh, we'll just, just walk up a little farther and then tee off. Like, make the hole shorter and it, it does because and that makes it but so from uh going the other way though there's only so much more difficulty adding distance can do and there's right. also so much only so much more distance you can physically add so then and then it, you go back so to the angle discussion it's going to force i think golf course designers to be more creative right and and rather than just being like we'll just add another 50 yards on a call today well that and and think about like so. Imagine you woke up tomorrow, and yeah. uh, whoever is in charge of Augusta National Golf Course or whatever it's called um, announced that they were going to push back all the the holes by fifty yards. So first off, the question is, how on earth logistically are they even going to do that? Because mm -hmm. that must be a nightmare for most golf courses everywhere. Yeah. But the second more subtle thing you're doing is you're telling every golfer. Um, casual and pro and aspiring pro and yada yada that you now need to hit the ball farther to succeed it's no longer a question of you know you're doing this because it's the style of play you're adopting you're now saying you have to do this or else you basically can't compete it'd be okay. the same thing as if if baseball stadiums push back all the walls by 20 feet you'd be telling baseball players hey if you still want to hit the 20 home runs you're scraping by on you now have to be bigger. And if that's a choice a league wants to make, that's fine. But it's a pretty extreme example. It's or a pretty extreme way of doing it. You know what I mean? Because part of the reason I, you change environments is saying, yeah, like, yeah no, we understand you can hit balls far, We, but we want you to be a better player all around, which I think is some of the things Mitch had mentioned about um, moving where the um, the bunkers are or what have you. It's yeah. the same idea with baseball. At some several points, it's considered making um, the 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 uh, distance between the bases longer, stuff like that. Things that'll make the actual game of baseball a little bit different, different. a little bit yeah. harder, but not concede to the general trend. So th this is where the analogy between baseball and golf breaks down. Unfortunately, I feel like because so there's a key difference in baseball and golf. And that Steroids. Is <laughs> No, actually, I'm, I'm sure that there's steroids going on in golf. I, if, I'd be naive to think that steroids is limited to just baseball. Yeah. <laughs> but that's, a, that's for another discussion. Um, in this case, what is baseball played? Who is baseball played against? It's played against two teams. Another team. Golf course is not, golf is not against two golfers. It's a golfer against the course. And it's how everybody did against the course. So that's where the difference in, I don't feel like adding length to a hole on a golf course is not the same to adding length to the base paths of a baseball field. Because it, like you would be changing the rules that two teams against each other would be abiding by. Mm -hmm. Whereas when you add 
a feature or change a hole. And let's put the, you wouldn't just no golf designer would just say we're just going to add fifty yards to every hole. Yeah, because that's not that might not be what makes the hole harder. Yeah, and and that's golf architect. There's books and books and books written on golf golf architecture about you know, where certain features should be. Should tee box be elevated? Should they you have an uphill fairway where you maybe have a blind shot? There's framing that they talk about. And all of that discussion is not necessarily about how two golfers compete against one another, but rather how the golfer competes against the, With course, the course itself. Yeah. So that's where the difference, that's why I wouldn't say it's like moving the base paths. That's interesting. I've never thought about golf being a golfer versus the course. Like, obviously it's easy to think like, oh, the golfer versus the other golfers, but it's probably more accurate to think about it. Like, all of the golfers are all competing against the course and it's who did the best against the course. Yes. That's, that's exactly how you have to look at it. Yeah. And that's why it's not, I wouldn't necessarily, I would stay away from the language of this is how far you need to hit to be successful in the game when it comes to them either pushing back or moving forward tee boxes. That's done. I think for the opposite reason, actually, I think you need to handicap certain players so that if in the instance where you might be playing with somebody that's not of the same level, they can compete equitably. Mm. So how are we getting, you know, how are you getting equity into golf is I might start at a tee box that my friend, you know, Caroline might be shooting at a different tee box. Mm -hmm. Now, now the two of us are able to compete in the same. You have equal footing. Yes. Yes. We have equitable footing. Yeah. Of equitable footing. Yeah. So I I don't think that moving tee boxes back would necessarily be saying to people, this is how far you have to hit the ball to be successful. It's more trying to close that gap between the, the longest hitting players and the shorter hitting players. Yeah. And so I guess as long as as long as Bryson is still like the odd the odd man out for you know kind of like is still doing things like, you know, unusually, right? Um, I don't think people are going to be, you know, there isn't going to be like an overhaul of how golf courses are designed or anything like that. But do you think that based on his success, um, especially, you know, like let's assume uh, maybe he doesn't win, maybe he does win, whatever. He's going to play well this weekend, right? Um, If we assume he plays well and like has success, you know, at at now the second major tournament, um. Do you think we'll see kind of more golfers adopting that that outlook of of kind of um, you know approaching approaching the game from a very scientific, very like um, you know almost like you know uh, I'm not even sure the right way of describing it, but like time will tell. Yeah, time will tell how long he can sustain this success for. Yeah. Is this a flash in the pan or is it something that's going to have a long and outstanding effect? If you look at history of other sports, well, I mean, the way that Moneyball has had an impact on baseball could potentially be analogous to the way that Bryson's approach to the game has on the way golfers that will be coming out of the next generations. We won't know yeah. until they until, until they get here. Yeah. Until they get here. I guess uh one more thing I'd like to ask, I guess, would be like, do you know, like, what were people talking about, like, when Ti- when Tiger was first kind of coming up? I know, obviously, you're not that much older than I am, but like, yeah. 
um, when Tiger was kind of first coming on the scene and, and really kind of flipping the script on, you know, how thought about the game of golf and, you know, it being this, you know, athletic um, thing. What did, I mean, were people, I'm assuming there had to have been similar things floating around of like, you know, are, are is this the future of golf? Are oh, we gonna... Without a doubt. And yeah. we're living it right now because yeah. every single one of these young players that Tiger's playing against now are people that grew up watching him. Yeah. Now, Tiger was was big when we were like, what, nine, 10 years old? Mm-hmm. And he was, you know, pre-drama. That guy was the king of the world. Yeah, yeah. You know, that he was... There are certain players that you can tell when they're playing behind you. Not only... Was it because of the roar of the crowds that you could physically hear behind you? You felt Tiger's presence on the course Mm -hmm. very, very, very uh, metaphysically. He had this way when he was a kid. And I say kid, I mean like in his early 20s, like where there was nobody else on the planet that was better than him. Yeah. Just him being on the pairing behind you. Just his presence, boom, he's already in your head. Yeah, just, yeah. just that energy, just that, yeah. He it was the only golf, what, maybe Arnold Palmer was the last one to do that. You know. That's going back quite a while. Yeah, the drink guy? <laughs> yes, the drink guy, Arnie's Army. That, he was the first one that had. Are you telling famous. me a lemonade salesman or iced tea salesman got famous playing golf? Believe it or not, yeah. That's how he funded his golf career, actually, yeah. He sold lemonade. Um, paid with his, iced tea. Paid his way, yeah. Paid his way to, uh, um, sure, yeah, I'll, I'll, yeah. <laughs> that's how he afforded the forty thousand dollar initiation fee. Oh yeah, that's of course, of course. That's how he, he was, sold he a was, whole bunch of iced tea. Yeah, yeah. He had a lemonade stand. Um, you and, should look yeah. up his history. Arnold Palmer has a really, really cool history. He's one of the a very, very famous person in the history of golf. Big winner. I'm pretty sure he was actually a good guy too. Oh, he definitely led the uh, led the golf community in in, in beverage sales. In beverage yeah. sales, beverage sales, average I mean, revenue on ice. Tea. You know, you know, Arizona has the Golden Bear, so you have Jack Nicholas too. Have you ever seen the Golden Bear variety of Arizona iced tea? What is what, what is, it? is I, it? I don't know. It's some. It's filled with sugar and it's some type of tea. Okay, but it's called the Golden Bear. That's Jack Nicholas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he has beverage. I don't know if it definitely did not sell Arnold Palmer. Yeah, because like I'd, I've never once heard anyone say, I'd like a Golden Bear, please. It has a good ring to it, though. I'm surprised it didn't do that well. I want a Golden Bear. Well, it's probably just not as good of a drink. It, dude, I'm telling you, it tastes like sugar and, and iced tea. So is it just, it's just sweet tea? Maybe. I don't know. See, we need somebody looking stuff up for us as we're talking. Yeah, here. we need a, a what's, what's the, who's the guy in Joe wrote? Jamie, right? Hey, Jamie, can you pull that up for us? Yeah. Golden Bear, Arizona. Here's a picture of the can. As this one is a sparkling lemonade. So that's just bubbly lemonade. Oh, it's lemonade. It's just straight up just lemonade. What? I'm telling you, you're you're calling Arnold Palmer lemonade. You got to get it right here, bub. Well, I know Arnold Palmer is lemonade and iced tea. Fine, sure. It's just that's just more but, words but I gotta now, say. Now lemonade, but but lemonade is Nicholas. just gold. So are you telling me that a an Arnold Palmer is actually 
a golden bear with iced tea. Correct. According to Arizona language, right? This is Arizona that makes this tea, isn't it? I think so. We, we I, I think we need to be reined in here, gents. Yeah. Uh, um, I, I, I have a final question, unless, Matt, you have more to say. No, I'd, why don't you, you wrap us up? What's your final question? All right, this is for Mitch. This has come up every time we talked about golf. Mitch, would you play bumper golf? Bumper golf? Imagine a golf course where there was no, where, where the fairway had giant walls on either side, and you couldn't, like, leave the fairway, and if you, like, sliced your ball too hard, it would ricochet off a wall, like a bowling ball off a bumper. Okay, so there was this course I used to play on. <laughs> it, was called, it, was, it was called Apple Mountain. It was in Oxford, New Jersey. It's since closed. Literally built into a mountain. On the back nine, I believe it was the 14th hole. This short dog leg right up the hill, par four. When you got onto the green, you looked out and you could see the Delaware Water Gap out in the distance. The rest of the course laying bumper. You know, beneath. That's why I play the game. It, it's those kinds of moments on the golf course where you're able to take it all in. If you just constructed walls all over my golf course, I swear to God, I will never go to that golf course <laughs> ever again. This is a very fair answer. <laughs> I'm really, ha- I'm really happy with the way you answered that. I was like, where is he going with this? <laughs> No, no balls on the golf course. No, but I, I get the idea. Just hit the ball straighter, and you won't have to want for walls. Yeah, I think I think Mitch's advice here is, uh, if you think bumper golf is a good idea, you need to get better at golf and then reevaluate your decision. Correct. Correct. Get them straight. My my analogy has been: you would treat bumper golf the same way you treat Elio's pizza. Hey, it's not golf, but it's like a golf flavor treat. <laughs> That's mini golf. But you can't drive in mini golf or else everyone gets mad at you. Well, did you go um <laughs> Did you go to uh what is that? Top golf? That's top yeah. golf. Man. Top golf is the Elio's pizza. Yes, top of, golf is Elio's pizza. Of golf. Yes. I enjoyed going there. I went there with like a, a couple it was like six of us, I think. It's not golf. It's a fun golf related activity yeah you know you can drink beer get some you know some fried food so and, golf and it's it's that part of <laughs> golf right and but in this you know it was it was cool you get the bay and all that have you guys been i've never yeah. been i i, I yeah. want to okay so you, so that's i think that's more of the kind of angle you should take at trying to get the elios of golf it's like top <laughs> golf well, see, I figured the fun part about it is that you know everyone thinks well, everyone would think well you just gotta hit straight so you don't hit the bumpers but the bumpers could be part of your strategy. <laughs> Just mm. bank everything off the bumpers, man. No. Anyway, it doesn't matter. And no. <laughs> this really doesn't matter. Of course it doesn't, but I appreciate you. I'm sorry I shit all over your idea. Oh, man, I'm not trying to sell this. You know how much money we'd have to spend in, like, concrete and shit? Got a better chance of building Trump's wall in Mexico. I, that was I didn't want to bring it up, but that was the analogy that came to mind. <laughs> so we'll just leave that one there. On that note, yeah, 
take us out of here, Josh. All right. Uh, first off, thanks to Mitch. Um, really appreciate this focused, uh, non-inebriated discussion from one of the Potempas. Um, um, hey, thank you guys for having me. I hope uh, hope I've made the cut and I can come back soon. I, I can talk about more things that aren't just golf, too. Oh, and so also join us next week um, when we uh, we will we will revisit some of these predictions and kind of. Uh, yeah, that's right. Have I, a follow up discussion on, my uh, bet slip right on how here. this all turns out. So that's just right. For, so the let just and before we go, I have here we're taking Don Rom because he skipped because he skipped the ball. Royal McIlroy because that's who we're feeling. Well, we, we we're we're hoping for the career grand slam. Yeah, we're hoping for the career grand slam, and I'm hoping for Ricky to, to you know get that first major win. And if one of those three wins, we'll uh, have a nice dinner for the three of us. There we go. Perfect. Um, yeah, so if you're uh, part of the reason this episode's coming out on a Thursday, if you regularly listen to the show, you know it comes out on Friday, is because later today, I say this as it is Thursday when this episode comes out, will be the beginning of the Masters. So we want to make sure we were um, recording and ready in time for it to start so that our predictions could not be based on things that have already happened and we would be cheaters. Um, anyway, so once again, thanks to Mitch. Um, if you want to follow the show on Twitter, you can do so at YCBSPod on Twitter. And if you want to hit us up via email to scold us, you can do so at YCBSPod at gmail.com. Give me your thoughts about bumper golf. Tell me why it's a bad idea. I want to hear it. Tear into me, into my soul. Um, and with that, we'll be back next Friday to talk about what happened at the Masters. We'll get the, another dose of of Mitch, but uh, until then, that's it, folks. Take it.